welcome to the latest episode of the Value Prop Show, brought to you by the Pacific Basin Economic Council. My name and your host for today is Michael Walsh, CEO of the Pacific Basin Economic Council. Today's episode is a special one for me as it marks our two-year anniversary of the PBEC pod, and it's our 24th edition. And what better way to celebrate than to have two of my favorite people from our PBEC community of subject matter experts in Anson Bailey, Head of Consumer and Retail, ASPAC, and Head of Technology Hong Kong at KPMG in China. He happens to also serve on our board and is our current treasurer. So welcome, Anson. Also on the show today, we have Dr. Neil O'Connor, recently appointed Professor of Accounting at Edith Cowan University back in Perth, in the land of his birth, Australia. Neil returned from Malaysia earlier this month, where he was the Head of Department for Accounting for the past five and a half years at Monash University. Now, I'll come to you both in a second, but for our listeners and viewers today, our subject and topic is all about our latest report, which is hot off the press on global regional trends in global sourcing, <laughs> entitled Charting a New Course in Asia Pacific. Now, it's been a labor of love for quite some time and an idea that came about off the back of the PBEC hosted roundtable last year in January. Professor Neil shared at that time some initial data from some of his research on supply chain movements, and it lit up LinkedIn when he did a small post post event on LinkedIn. Anson that day was the moderator, and subsequently we decided to come together and collaborate on producing this wonderful insightful report between Monash University in Malaysia, KPMG International and PBEC. Some of the contributors in, your, in the report that you'll see are from the likes of Puma, Maersk Logistics, Heinrich Foundation and GS1 in Hong Kong, as well as a multiple of KPMG ASPAC senior executives and subject matter experts. So I'm really excited to be able to hear from two of the main content producers now so let's get started, and I'd love to hand now the mic over to Dr. Neil O'Connor. Neil, you're joining us from Perth in your new university. How's it like down there? And can you share just some of the reasoning in a bit more detail of how this all came about? Over sure. Sure, Mike, and great to see Anson and Mike on this podcast. Like, coming in from Perth, but the voice is still the same and the energy is still the same. This big report that is coming out and should be out by the time the podcast is published really started in 2020 when I was interviewed on another podcast out of Seeking Eltha. It was a US podcast. And at that time, they were asking questions about examples of companies decentralizing their supply chains from China as a result of the trade war. And then, then I just had two or three examples of companies to share on a podcast, but I was pinching myself because I didn't have any data. And that really kick-started this uh, avalanche of data that I collected since then. And so it's three years later, and we managed to grab a team together marshal a team together and to look at the quotes by C managers taken from media reports, annual reports of these uh, Fortune 500 companies concerning their 
sourcing shift of their supply chains out of China. Now, when we talk about sourcing shift, we're talking about decentralizing their supply chains. That is China plus one, plus two, plus three. And it is amazing that we counted 132 companies in that process that we're able to document. Now, we haven't been able to document details of private companies that a lot of companies are not announcing their shifts for all good reasons in managing their political risks and risks operating in other countries. But this is basically a snapshot of the Fortune 500 companies and their managing of their global supply chains. Wonderful. And, you know, there was many uh, shifts, uh, reasons, right? Many reasons behind the shifts that were identified in the report. Um, in, in, in actual fact, there was 232 sourcing market moves as well that came out of the report. So there's a lot of data in the report that uh, you've kindly shifted through. And I really feel that there's a lot to be said about what's happening in the business world compared to what you hear and, and you hear about in the media when it comes to you know the political climate per se. So uh, it's interesting, right, Anson, coming to you now, uh, why KPMG is involved in this process because it's very at the heart of you know your advisory side of the business with your clients correct yeah absolutely mike and uh, again i think it's fascinating because i think you also mentioned uh, there's a lot of noise uh, in the system uh, there's a lot of media articles talking about the demise of china and you know and uh, and again, I think we have to have this reality check in the fact that whilst, of course, we can see the geopolitical pressures uh, that uh, businesses are faced with, the reality is that, you know, supply chains are still very much here in, in the Asia region, right? The, the, if you look at the study, Mike, you'll find that, you know, much of the relocated distribution um, has remained in Asia, I think around 71%, um, with 55% centered around um, Southeast Asia um, as well. Um, you know, there have been some some interesting, um, you know, we, we have seen some interesting moves. Uh, I have to say that Vietnam uh, was very much on top of that list. Um, and I think it certainly received the highest number of inflows of, uh, of companies. And as we know, you know, India also, I think, shows some real potential uh, for the future sourcing side of things. Um, but again, I, I think there's a lot of, uh, as I said, Mike, lots of noise. Um, you know, China is still a very significant marketplace. And as Neil mentioned, you know, we've been hearing about the China plus one strategies for a long time, China plus two, China plus three. Uh, what we're actually seeing now, Mike, is, you know, there is that realization, you know, it, it is, you know, it is happening. Um, and of course, we hear a lot um, about um, nearshoring. Uh, yeah. But again, at the same time, as Neil alluded to, data, 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 we've got to really look at that data. And we've also got to look at the, you know, we, we've also got to look at all of that data. 
um, and and talk to those senior executives at the coalface, right? What are they doing? Um, I think that's really, really a key message, Mike, in terms of there's lots of noise out there, but hopefully by looking at the data as, as Neil has done, uh, by us talking to senior executives, um, hopefully we've got a very balanced view um, of global sourcing trends um, here in the Asia Pacific region. Yeah, and Neil touched upon obviously the the availability of data is always going to be a challenge because it's always an easier source to find it from public sources and public companies because that's mandated to share that data. But there was also commentary uh, for some who have also read the report already saying, uh, what about you know the SME side and the medium-sized companies? Uh, where where's their voice in this? And you know, from a PBEC perspective, we we do represent all businesses uh, voices in the region. So coming back to you, Neil, do you see the factors that affect a company's decision making from the public side? You know, they're still very much relevant from our report findings to the private side uh, who are not reporting. There's still the same issues being faced. It's a very good point. And what is interesting, what the data is also showing, even though it's come from publicly listed companies, 90% of the companies in our in our data are publicly listed. But what we find in the like announcing some of the trends, that is the major country being shifted to or the main recipient of sourcing decentralization being Vietnam and next to that was India as well but Vietnam was a large recipient of smaller moves when we count the capacity whereas India is a recipient of larger moves so in many ways you've you've got the major electronics companies the Apples the Samsungs you know going to India because they have the resources to work with the regulatory and the the need for more development of the infrastructure in India, whereas in Vietnam is much better positioned to attract uh, smaller business sourcing, and we see that where the 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 even though Vietnam is the largest recipient in terms of the number of shifts in our data, the each of those shifts were much smaller compared to each of the shifts going to India. The, the capacity for each shift going to India was much larger. So there are different countries that are suited to SMEs. And, uh, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that. So that's a good comparison between India and Vietnam in Thank you, Neil. And so, um, you know, in terms of trends that have come from the report, Neil, um, you mentioned their electronics moving, you know, so the larger companies being able to move and look at sort of what we say, they need more capacity in terms of scale of land required for the production. Yes. They're looking at countries like India that can, that can welcome them for that uh, versus Vietnam. Um, what are the other, you know, when we look to the other side of the Pacific, Latin America, is there any country there worth mentioning? Because obviously, you know, from a PBEC perspective, we like to cover on both sides of the Pacific. It's interesting you mentioned that because if we can talk about the this trend starting around 2017-18, we're very much 
the all of the discussions about the trade war forcing this uh, decentralization of supply chains. And in the initial stages, Latin America did not figure heavily in as as an option. But when we look at the COVID period 2020-2023, we see Latin America playing a larger role. So we're talking about Brazil, we're talking and of course Mexico. Mexico wasn't that wasn't large on the horizon. 2018, 2019, but from 2021, 2022 onwards, Mexico and Brazil uh, play are playing a larger role. Now, for the most part, Mexico is playing a role in terms of being an uh, the attraction being close to the U.S. market. So it's you, you the reason for the decentralized move to Mexico is dominated not by labor costs, not by anything other than being close to the market. And as Anton said earlier, most of the decentralized moves are still within the Asia region. And so and they're dominated by the continued access to raw materials, the continued access to relatively cheap labour. So Anson, um, with that said, look, you know, the report, you know, it suggests a more considered approach to the pandemic supply chain impacts in the region and highlights multiple reasons behind the recent moves in capacity, which are continuing even through this year, 2023, that, you know, more have been announced uh, in terms of new factories going to be opened. But um, so there is, in some ways, there's a more bullish view on what was under attack when we talk about globalization from, you know, Western media per se. Um, there's a more bullish view from, you know, business leaders based in the region uh, who would like, you know, who would like, to, who had seemed to have a more increased appetite, you know, for investments in, the technology to enable even the digital side of the trading uh, increasing. They're happy to be more visible and they certainly need more traceability because there's more accountability requirement now and, and you know, data driven, as Neil said. So, you know, from a KP, KPMG perspective, what does that mean? You know, what is that? What are you talking to your clients? You know, I don't want to give yeah. all of our, secrets away from the report i encourage people to go out and look at the report for themselves but i want to sort of get your take from a kpmg because it's a continually changing scenario um for most business leaders they don't look at the media they're looking at you know really trusted data and how can they act on it yeah absolutely mike uh, you know there's there's a couple of observations that that i would make for everyone, and that is in the last couple of years, we have been dealing with this long tail of COVID. And one thing that we've learned is we've had to become a lot more digitally savvy. Um, and that relates to businesses as well as those consumers. So I think a key message there is, you know, we're, we're a lot more digitally savvy than we were ever before. Um, we've had to learn to be a lot more agile. Uh, we've learned to be more resilient. And I think that also applies to those supply chains um, as well, Mike. So I think, you know, that, that whole, you know, what we're also seeing is that tech and innovation is playing a role. Uh, it's interesting because 
we've been talking to a number of those senior business executives, and they're telling us that you know tech innovation is, is certainly something that they now uh, see on a daily basis. Uh, but they're also seeing breakthroughs in areas such as product development, material innovations. So there's you know there's a lot of things happening and. We had an interesting conversation with people like Anne Law Decors, the chief sourcing officer at Puma. And I think Anne Law also reminded all of us about we're seeing these changing business models as well, Mike. Uh, in fact, you know, I think one of the quotes in her um, in, in the report was talking about in the future, those brands and manufacturers really need to examine our new on-demand manufacturing models right, where new designs and products can be rolled out in days, mm. not months, but in days. So, the, you know, the fact that the speed to market will be incredibly fast. Um, so, again, you know, companies are going to use all of that data. We heard from Neil how those companies now are using data a lot more. You know, they're looking at the data analytics, they're looking at, AI automated designs for those products as well. So they're going to, you know, they've got to consider all of these points, Mike. So mm. for me, it's quite fascinating because tech and innovation now, they're here. They finally arrived in the sourcing industry. So I think we're, we're going to see a lot more of this um, in the, um, you know, in those supply chains. And then a final point, Mike, is, you know, why is that important? It's important because we're now dealing with the next generation of consumers. We're now ge dealing with these Gen Z consumers. And by the way, there are 300 million of those Gen Z consumers alone in China. If you think about the rest of ASEAN and South Asia, you can add another 300 million. That gives you a significant universe. And one thing we know, and thanks to COVID as well, is that these Gen Z consumers are digital natives, right? They yeah. consume everything <laughs> digitally, but also they are now demanding much, much more from those brands, from those retailers. And they're watching you, right? And they're very willing to call you out. So they're demanding far more transparency. They're demanding far greater ethical sourcing as well. And as I said, Mike, they are watching all of us. So again, you know, there's a number of factors. There's this perfect storm that's emerged, right? Mm -hmm. There's, you know, the, the cost of financing. There's equally, uh, as we know, COVID. Um, sustainability, ESG, is very much here right now being discussed. And now we're having to deal with those consumers like those Gen Z consumers. So we live in very interesting times, Mike. But as yeah. I said, we are facing this perfect storm. Can I so just you, add on something ahead, to yeah. that, Anson? Exactly right. The digitalization, the increased transparency. Now, for for the SME, for the multinational, like they, in most part, they have the resources and where at all to, you know, execute on their supply chains in that way. For the SME, the big challenge and the big encouragement that we can give to SMEs is to continue to work with the relationship of their supplier in, in Asia. And you, yes, you want to 
try, you need to digitize the supply chain, but the relationship with the supply is not going away. It's a continued, it's a glue that holds the supply chain together. With the pressure from consumers, that relationship helps to get that transparency, even though you've got the more documentation, you've got digitization, but you still need the owner mindset. If you are contracting with another factory in this region, you need the owner mindset aligned with your own uh, sustainability uh, demands. And so for the SME, uh, you know, I would, uh, the biggest advice is just, uh, do not see technology as a way of managing your supply from a distance. The relationship is even more critical than ever. So with all that said, I implore everybody to go and find our newly released report, which is between the Pacific Basin Economic Council, KPMG and Monash University, Malaysia, entitled once again, Charting a New Course in Asia Pacific. You can find it on all of our websites, either at PBEC or at KPMG. And uh, you'll also see a link in our podcast episode. But before I let my experts go, moving to sort of the next, what's next? Um, we talked a little bit offline about emissions. And Professor, you talked about the challenge of going from scope one and scope two reporting to scope three in the supply chain. Do you want to just touch upon that? You know, there's a need, we feel, don't we, that there's uh, more to be done on this whole area in supporting business leaders in their transition uh, with you know, ESG so important these days. Thanks, Mike. And like multinationals are already signed a report on scope three, like Bloomberg, there's about 2,000 uh, companies being reported compared to over five or 6,000 reporting scope one and scope two. And so we can see that scope three is not there yet. And scope three relating to the environmental footprint of their upstream and downstream uh, connected supply chain. And that's something that I think is going to be a big challenge for Asia if companies are not there with getting their transparency digitized uh, supply chain systems in order. And so I think that's definitely a center of a forthcoming report that we need to work on. Anson, with the last word, you know, you talked about the all important consumers, Generation Z, uh, they're going to demand you know, this transparency and in some ways the measuring of emissions in the product choices that they make, right? So, you know, the the whole, you know, this data is going to only just increase, but, you know, obviously KPMG can help with making, you know, businesses understand the modeling in order to push that accurate data to the consumer in order for the consumer mm -hmm. to make a choice, an informed choice. A absolutely, Mike. Absolutely, and it's an important choice. The good news is that businesses now are starting to realize that they have to put purpose and sustainability at the top of their agenda, Mike. And we are seeing that. And so there is a transition um, that is happening with regards to the energy transitions, the decarbonization commitments that are being made, and there are a lot of corporates out there today, Mike, that have already signed up uh, to those net zero goals by the likes of 2030. Uh, but as we all know, you know, we are really going to have to take a very 
good look at everything in our supply chains to try and achieve those goals. So there is a business impar imperative that we need to do these things. Um, it's interesting, Mike, because even the banks now, the financiers are starting to, you know, to call it out. They're starting to say, if, if you do not have a sustainability agenda, then, you know, you're not going to get, uh, you know, th those loans at a preferential rate in the future. Yeah. Regulators are starting to regulate, Mike. And another key message for everybody here is that the, the European Union, for example, have got a lot of legislation in the pipelines and they're going to impact all of us all over the world, in particularly in those sourcing and manufacturing centers like Asia. So we have to get on board. We have to ensure we collaborate. I think that's a key message, Mike. So, you know, yeah. we've got to collaborate with all of our suppliers across those supply chains, right, with those shipping companies. Um, and we've got to ensure that we do it sooner rather than later because that changes here. It's happening. And quite frankly, again, going back to those Gen Z consumers, they are watching all of us, right? So they are demanding far greater sustainability. Yeah, right. I think you're right, Anson. In terms of uh, the collaboration, you know, when we talk about it from a PBEC perspective, we're talking about the business voice recommending, making recommendations to policymakers, because without that collaboration, some policies are not going to fit the purpose. And it's not going to be really helpful if governments start going too heavy with a stick and putting caps on things when there could be a collaborative budget uh, scenario which was agreed collaboratively. Um, and that goes from my own uh, perspective from the aviation side, which you've mentioned on the shipping. You know, if there's this speed to market need, you know, you're going to see more air cargo requirements, then you can't have caps at airports on the number of flights. You need to have a more budgetary solution on carbon emissions and, and other emissions that are, uh, you know, that the whole aviation industry has to also meet by 2050 being net zero commitment as well. So, Lots to talk about in future episodes, but for now, we'll leave it there. And I want to thank both my guests and uh, for all their support through the entire process of producing this wonderful report that Anson has in his hand, a printed copy of the front page and uh, go out and find it and love to get your comments on our social media channels, LinkedIn, YouTube channel. Uh, so for now, thank you and goodbye. Thank you. Thanks. Everyone. Thank you, Mike. Thank Mike. you, Anton. Thank you, Professor Neil O'Connor. <laughs> the Value Prop Show is brought to you by PBIC, the Pacific Basin Economic Council. Your co-hosts are Miguel Aboites and Michael Walsh from PBEC. You can follow us and subscribe on our LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter. Thanks for watching and listening, and see you in the next episode.